Now this time we're going to turn our attention to God's Word. We're going to worship God through the Scriptures. And so I'm going to invite Ashley to come on up for our Scripture reading. This is God's Word from the Gospel of John, chapter 12, beginning in verse 44. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Amen. Thank you, Ashley. Hey, good morning. How are you? You guys good? If you're new, my name's Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're new, also, one of the things we like to do is to go uh, line by line, verse by verse, through books of the Bible. We're in the Gospel of John, kind of starting out or continuing on, I guess, our second calendar year through the Gospel of John. Really took our time. We've had some breaks here and there. We're actually going to have a break coming up in a few weeks for Advent, looking at this theme of the witnesses to the Advent, the shepherds and the angels and the magi. And uh, Also, uh, with that, Advent starts in December, and my wife is trying to get me to set up Christmas lights and decorations today, this afternoon. So pray for me that I would stay strong and not, oh, you and T, you're on my, you're, oh. Look, I don't want to cause a church split or anything. I'm just trying to do what the Bible says and set up my decorations after Thanksgiving. So as a joke, the Bible doesn't mention the American holiday of Thanksgiving, just the general heart disposition of Thanksgiving to God. So, uh, but look, we're not going to judge each other about when we set up our Christmas decorations, which leads me to today's topic, judgment. And we've been, uh, as we go through the Gospel of John, I've been kind of making a conscious decision to put off talking about this topic because judgment is one of these things that comes up over and over and over again. And I wanted to wait until today, kind of the culmination of a lot of different verses that speak about judgment. Jesus has much to say about judgment. And so I wanted to wait. So we're going to look at this passage, the scripture reading we had today, but we're going to look at other passages in the gospel of John as well and try to synthesize, really answer this question. What does Jesus mean when he's talking about judgment? So before we do anything else, we got to pray together, okay? So would you, would you join with me as we, as we pray and ask God for his help today? God, as we kind of dig in and, and, and seek to understand with our intellects and think critically about these words and what it is that you're saying to us, Lord Jesus, I, I pray for myself that you'd help me to be clear and articulate and truthful and helpful in all that I say. But God, it's more than just uh, intellectual understanding. God, we know that we, we need to be changed in our hearts, the ways that we feel, the emotions that we have, the ways that we uh, act in our, in our lives, our decisions. And so God, I pray that you'd help these truths to penetrate down into our hearts. And God, for all of us, <clears throat> as we look at this idea of judgment, would you help us today, Lord God, to take off the, the, the judge's robe, as it were, and to entrust to you, you alone, our righteous judge, that place of ultimate judgment. Jesus, be with us today. May you get the glory, may you get the attention, and may all of this be done uh, for our joy and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So this theme of judgment, I will, I'll start with this. Nobody likes to feel like they're being judged. 
Amen? It's pretty much a universal truth. Nobody likes that feeling. And I would say also, with rare exception, nobody wants to be thought of as a judgmental person. Maybe there's a few out there that are like, yes, I'm fine with that. But (laughs) most everybody wants to be thought of as a kind person, a compassionate person, not someone who is, quote, judgmental. And as though to illustrate the point this morning, uh, Jordan, who was back here, he was playing the bass guitar, and his sister, and I was talking with somebody about, oh, you know, judging, and the theme is judgment or whatever, and I walked past her out in the foyer, and she goes, are you wearing pink pants? And her brother Jordan goes, boy, the sermon for you is today. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh my goodness, let's just stop it here. So yeah, I'm providing you an opportunity to practice not judging someone for wearing pink pants, so you're welcome. Here's the deal. We talk about judging, and we have kind of an operational cultural definition of judging. It, it usually means something like criticizing. And it, it actually could be summed up quite well by the words of that great American philosopher, Tupac Shakur, in his 1994 song, Only God Can Judge Me. And I won't quote the lyrics to you today for a few reasons. Uh, but what, basically, the, the thrust of the song, it's this. He goes, you don't know how hard my life is. Uh, you know, he even mentions, this is 1994, he mentions, you know, for a black man living in, in these streets, the hardships I'm faced with, the difficulties I'm faced with, you don't know why I've had to do the things I've had to do. You don't know why I've had to make the decisions I've had to make. He even, even, he even references the police, Mr. Police, can't you understand? There's a million other guys out there just like me, uh, just trying to get through life. Only God can judge me. That's what he says. Only God can judge me. This is a side point, but it's actually a really frightening thought. It's Jesus himself who said that we should not fear what a man can do to us, what a man can say to us, because the worst thing they could possibly do is kill you. That's the worst thing a human being can do is kill you. He said, actually, we should fear God, the righteous judge, who after you die has the authority to throw you into hell. So when Tupac says only God can judge me, A, he's pretty right, and B, that's terrifying if not for the grace and the mercy of Jesus. But there's more to the word judgment than just, hey, don't criticize me. Left turn here. Okay, how many of you enjoy uh, true crime TV shows, movies, podcasts, things like Making a Murderer or Serial or all of those things? And those shows are really popular, okay? First of all, a bunch of weirdos here. Okay, so... uh, (laughs) But here's the premise of those shows, right? The premise of the show is if we just dangle out a little bit more information and we give you a little bit more, you, on your couch, in your footy pajamas, can figure it all out. And you're sitting there like, oh, he is totally guilty. He totally did it. You're saying, I'm just eating like ice cream by the gallon full. And you're just sitting there in full judgment, full judgment, But how many of you have ever had to actually sit on a jury? Okay, Uh, I was talking with someone from my community group. Her father had to go for a period of several months and serve on a grand jury for a murder trial. And at the end of the murder trial, this, this man had to render a judgment, guilty or not guilty. And you think about the weight and the seriousness of this. If the person is guilty, they need to face consequences because they are a murderer and they should not be let out. But if they are not guilty, but you pronounce them guilty, you're then sending an innocent person to prison for a crime they didn't commit. I mean, that is weighty. 
so much more weighty than Netflix or the serial podcast or the way that we, 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 um, we entertain ourselves with true crime. But if you've ever had to sit on a jury, that ultimate judgment, that capital J judgment is a weighty and a serious thing and you're not enjoying it, might I dare say. Okay, another side, sidebar. So sometimes we use judgment that way, but we also use judgment more in this sort of a way. How many of you parents, maybe you have school-age children, or if your children are grown, you remember these days, a parent, if a child comes to you and says, hey, can I go over and play at so-and-so's house? And you have this thought, I don't know who so-and-so is. I don't know who the child is. I don't know who the parents are. I don't know the household. We'd better not until I actually get to know them and to know if they are a safe family, a safe household, the decisions that are going to be made there. Anybody, any parents know what I'm talking about? Okay. And actually, don't be ashamed to raise your hand because you are making a judgment call based on the wisdom that God has given you and a mandate that you have to protect your child. And I can tell you as a pastor, I spent a lot of time in the counseling office talking with and working with people whose parents did not exercise good judgment and had life-altering terrible things happen to them because there was not that safety put over them. Now listen, we all on a day-to-day basis have to make those type of judgment calls. It could be something as simple as, oh, My kid isn't feeling well. Should I send them to school today? You have to make a judgment call. You're out hiking with friends. Ah, that trail, ah, it doesn't look particularly safe. Maybe we should call it a day or maybe we should go down this other trail and and not go up this other one. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? You're faced with these types of choices day in and day out. Heck, some of you are gonna be faced with that choice as you're driving home from church today and you think, is that light still yellow? I think it is. And then you gun it and you just made a judgment call as to whether or not you could make it through the light. I'm going to call that lowercase j judgment. Smaller decisions, evaluations that we have to make on a day-to-day basis. So I want you to remember that as we're talking about judgment, there's a range of meaning. I'm not only talking about the ultimate judgment, guilty, not guilty. I'm not talking about, like Tupac would say, like criticism. we're, We're really speaking about this whole range. And we need to see what Jesus has to say about this. Today in this passage, you probably heard it in the scripture reading, that word judgment is used a bunch of times. And I want to clarify what Jesus is saying. So we're going to look at this passage as well as others in John that we've already looked at. Are you with me? Chapter 12, verse 44. Let's jump in. Jesus cried out and said, this is, this is a summary speech. This is Jesus really, for all intents and purposes, wrapping up his public preaching ministry. He now moves from being Jesus the prophet to being Jesus the priest, being with his people and dying uh, on their behalf. Chapter 13, the, the, the corner is officially turned. So this is a summary of many, if not all of the themes we've looked at thus far. Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. That word belief is really important, right? John has been saying, I mean, we've, we've looked ahead at the end of the book and John says, I wrote this book, I wrote the gospel of John so that you would, what's the word? 
believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, and that by believing, you would have eternal life in his name. The Gospel of John never uses the word repent. It's not because John doesn't think you should repent. It's because he's framing the issue differently. You and I have been disconnected from the source of life. We need to be plugged back in. Human beings were meant to live forever. But because of our folly and our rebellion, we've, we've come unplugged, as it were, and we need to be plugged back into God's life, God's eternal life, and we do that by believing in Jesus. The other theme that we see here is he says, whoever believes in me, you're not just believing in me, you're believing in the one who sent me. And if you're looking at me, you're not just looking at me, you're looking at the one who sent me. That's another theme we have seen throughout the Gospel of John. Jesus is saying, I and the Father are one. Yes, we are distinct, but we are one. If you want to know what God looks like, you look at me, right? Referencing another 90s song. What if God were one of us, right? He would look like Jesus. What would God do? What would God say? How would God act? It's Jesus. You look at Jesus. So he says those things. Then he says, I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. That's a really key metaphor in the Gospel of John, light and darkness, and it's going to be really key for understanding today what Jesus is saying about judgment. Now, here's the main words we need to unpack. So I'm going to read through them. We'll circle back around. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. Does that strike anyone as interesting? I thought the whole point was that we need to believe in Jesus or else we will face judgment. Okay, what are you saying, Jesus? If you, if you, don't, if you don't hear my words and keep them, I'm not going to judge you, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. My mission is not judgment, my mission is salvation. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. Oh, so, so you will judge them? No, not me. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Ooh, what does that mean? For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. God himself has told me what to say and what to speak. You're hearing the very words of God here. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. Whatever I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. A little bit of back and forth there, huh? If you, if you don't believe in me, I'm not going to judge you. If you don't believe in me, you will be judged. The words themselves will judge you. What, what is going on here? Oh yeah, by the way, my words are the very words of God. Now, some of you here, uh, you have a love language of word nerddom. And uh, I am here to love you in that particular special way by sharing with you underneath the hood a little bit of the Greek, what's going on. So loosen up your wrist, take some notes. By the way, <laughs> in order to do this this week, I actually created a three-page document with all of the different times in the Gospel of John that the word for judge is used. And I got done with it. I didn't bring it because that would be boring uh, for a sermon, but I attached it to the website. And so if you are looking for, like, just, you want to get down on a Sunday afternoon, you're like, I was going to watch the Seahawks, but change the plans. <laughs> I have a three-page PDF with every appearance of these next few words from the Gospel of John that you can reference for your own enjoyment and safekeeping. But let me just show you a little bit what's happening, okay? There are three primary words happening in the New Testament. The first one is krino. It appears in the New Testament 115 times. It appears in the Gospel of John 
20 times. 20 times. Gospel of John only has just a little bit more than 20 chapters. So this word appears almost once per chapter. And it can be translated in a wide variety of ways. If you see this word in the New Testament, you're not always going to see krino. Sometimes you're going to see judge or condemn. Sometimes you're going to see legal sort of words like law or a trial. But then sometimes you're going to see words like decide or esteem or determine, right? I got to make this decision. I got to make this choice. Esteem, like how do, I, how do I think about this person? How do I consider this situation? So that's the first one, krino. The second one is krisis. It's actually where we get our word for crisis. It's like a crisis point, a decision point. 47 times in the New Testament, 11 in the Gospel of John. So almost a fourth, close to a fourth of the times that this word appears in the New Testament, it appears in John, once every other chapter approximately, and it's translated as judgment, justice, sentence, or condemnation. This is a a, a noun, and it's got a little bit more of that kind of edge to it. One last word, krima, so you can see the, the, the K-R-I prefix to all these words. They're all related. Krima shows up 27 times, but only once in John. We'll get there in a minute. And it's also translated as judgment, condemnation, a sentence, a lawsuit, or a penalty. Here's the point of all of this. Just like in English, words have a range of meaning. The same is true in Greek. So when Jesus is talking about judgment, Just because you see the same word in different places doesn't mean it always has the exact same connotation. We don't want to be wooden and and, and inflexible with how we translate and understand the Bible. There are godly men and women who have devoted their lives to understanding these terms, and you can dig in and you can pick up most English translations of the Bible, and you can be incredibly blessed, and you can know what God wants for you. That's a a blessing, right? And what's, what's more, look, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one, but we don't even need to give you one because you have a device in your pocket, and you could literally download every English translation known to man for free. We are blessed to have incredible access to God's word. Amen? But here's the point. Here's, what I'm, here's the reason why I bring all of this up. I want you to be thinking critically about what the Bible says when we're talking about judgment. Because the words are not just a strict one-to-one ratio. Here's the second thing I need you to understand. In the Gospel of John, uh, how, how do I say this? Sometimes John is a little hard to follow. <laughs> Can I get an amen from anybody on that? As you've been reading through, you see, okay, okay, so one minute he's talking about judgment this way, he's talking about judgment that way. Uh, Theologians sometimes call it the Johannine, that just means John, the Johannine conundrum or the Johannine dilemma, which I think is a great name for a band. The Johannine conundrum. So like, for example, for example, did Jesus come to judge or not? Well, the verse we just read, 1247, he said, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Well, that sounds a lot like what we read back in John chapter 3, where he says, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world. That's the same word, but in order that the world might be saved through him. But John 939, Jesus says, for judgment, I came into this world. Ah, so what is it? Jesus, through the pen of John, did Jesus come to judge or did he not come to judge? Oh, Sound City, you know what the answer is. Yes. <laughs> or who's, who is the judge? Uh, chapter 5, verse 22. The father judges no one, but he has given all judgment to the son. Okay, cool. So Jesus is the judge. Got it. 
Chapter 8, verse 16. It is not I alone who judge. There's crema, that one time in John. But I and the Father who sent me. Oh, so wait. So, the, so Jesus judges, not the Father, but, but it's both of you. Okay. And then 850. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it. And he's the judge. Oh, doggone it. Who's the judge? Jesus or the Father? Yes. When will this judgment take place? 1248, the one we just read, the verse we just read. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Reminds us of what we read back in chapter five when Jesus said, an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and will come out and those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment, that's happening in the future. Judgment day is in the future. But maybe some of you are thinking, wait a minute, just last week we read chapter 12, verse 31 and Jesus said, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out and we all throw our Bibles down in confusion and say, who can understand these things? Now, is John schizophrenic? No. Is Jesus just talking out of both sides of his mouth? No. I want to attempt to synthesize a a great amount of biblical truth in a short period of time. I'm going to move quickly. If you need the notes, they're up on the website. You can get them later. But I want you to track with me on certain truths and certain principles that we see throughout the Gospel of John. And we're going to start by talking about God's judgment, the place of judgment that God holds, capital J, judgment. My first point is this. The world is a broken place. Don't get an amen from anybody on that. Just, I, I believe it was last week or maybe the week before I referenced the shooting that took place in the synagogue in, in Pennsylvania. Another shooting at a, I believe it's a nightclub in California just this last week. Uh, we had an, uh, an election this last week. There's all sorts of just fighting on the internet and even in person. There's forest fires. There's wars. Um, I just had somebody tell me that like Ebola is making a comeback in like Uganda where I just was. I'm like, oh my goodness. Like the world is a broken place. The world is a broken place. That's what like Christian, non-Christian, all of us, we should be able to at least agree on that. We won't because the world's a broken place. But the question then comes like, well, who did this? Who's to blame? Somebody needs to give an account for what's happening here. Who's going to fix this? What, like, what are we going to do? Any of you parents ever like gone outside to check the mail and in the 36 and a half seconds that you were outside, you come back in the house and your house looks like a war zone? Like someone exploded a peanut butter and jelly bomb in your kitchen and there's laundry all over the place. You're like, what happened? How did it go from the pristine place of comfort and joy that I had established this morning to now everything's a huge giant mess? The world's like that. Somebody needs to answer. Somebody needs to figure this out. Number two, God himself is the rightful judge. God himself is the rightful judge because for two reasons. Number one, God's the creator. If God's not the creator, then we are free to determine right from wrong, what should happen, how to figure it all out. That's fine. But if God is the rightful judge, if God's the, sorry, if God's the rightful creator, then that makes him the rightful judge of how things should go. Some of you are engineers. Some of you are software designers you design a program and you, you, you have a specific purpose for it and, and you, you know how it's supposed to be used. Now imagine you walk by somebody's desk and they've downloaded your program and they're using it. You're like, what in the world are you doing? 
with that software. Like, oh, I figured out this way to use it. Like, but that's not how I designed it. Like, well, it's working, isn't it? It's like, well, sort of. Might blow up your computer, but even if it doesn't, you're missing out on the 48 other things that I designed this software to do, right? It's a, it's a, it's a simple analogy, but if God created things and he knows how things are, ought to operate and he has the right to say, yeah, you, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this with your bodies. You shouldn't do this with the, the environment. You shouldn't do this with your decisions you make. Not only is God the creator of all things, he's the sustainer of all things, which means he's the only one who is capable of sorting out the mess. I can't even keep the files on my computer organized in a way that's pleasing to me, much less try to solve the problems of the world. And yet you and I and everyone else you know does it. We sit there on our computer, on social media. We sit there in front of the TV with cable news. We say, well, what they ought to do is no, 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 no. As though we in our, again, footy pajamas are going to sort out all of the problems of the world. I had a moment this week, just, um, it was the day after the election. And so I was thinking about politics and new representatives and bills that had passed. And then I went to a gathering of pastors and leaders for the foster care world. My, my family, we do foster care. A number of other families in the church do foster care, have adopted. And, and so it was this gathering of ways to help churches partner together to, to serve the least of these in our community, those who are in a very vulnerable place. And they were talking about the ways that certain legislations had gone and there was changes in the department. It's no longer called uh, the CPS office. It's DCYF and it's its own division now. They got it out from under DSHS and there were politicians in Olympia who made those decisions. And I was thinking about like churches trying to help, but there, we've gotten some pushback recently because we're breaking uh, certain rules about social workers not getting bribed or payments for helping. It's like, well, we're just trying to like bring a meal and bless it. Like there's just all this huge giant mess. And I kind of zoned out for a while because I'm thinking to myself, man, I can't even like touch this one domino without a million other ones falling over. Anyone know what I'm talking about? I can't solve the problems of the world. Only God can. Number three, God has made Jesus his agent for this judgment. God has made Jesus his agent. It's almost like the father and the son had a conversation before the foundations of the world. And God says, hey, Jesus, I need you to enter in. I need you to go sort out the mess. I need you to go figure out what's going on, what has happened, who's responsible, take ownership. The Father sends Jesus on a mission. And since Jesus and the Father are one, we know that Jesus will make the exact same decisions as God himself. Number four, Jesus goes on this mission and his mission is salvation. Jesus' mission is not to condemn. Jesus' mission is not to say it's all broken, burn it all, kick everyone out, kill them all, send them. That's not his mission. His mission is to bring salvation. You see, if if anybody tells you otherwise, they're not preaching to you the Jesus of the scriptures. He came not to condemn. He came to offer hope. He came to offer redemption. He came to offer God's grace and God's love. Amen? This is great news. That's the mission that Jesus came on. But there is something that happens even with Jesus, his mission being healing and restoration and life and forgiveness, his mission, number five, inevitably leads to a sense of judgment. It inevitably leads to this sense of judgment. Let me use another analogy for you, okay? I want you to pretend that you drove your friend to a doctor's office. And they're seeing a doctor. They've had some incredibly serious health challenges. 
and you drive them there, you're sitting in the office, the doctor enters in. This is a good doctor. This is a loving doctor. Someone who only wants the best for your friend. And the doctor comes in and says, hey, you know, I told you you had to like not drink any alcohol because your liver and your kidneys were shot. You can't drink any alcohol. So I'm, I'm really, really glad you made that, that choice and you've done that. And I told you you had to stop eating any red meat because again, your digestive system couldn't handle it. If you ate any more red meat, your heart was going to give out. It was going to explode. It was going to die. So thank you for doing that. And also I told you to like get rid of some stress in your life and to start exercising. And so I told you to like take a walk every single morning and you've been taking a walk every morning and meditating and praying and good job for doing that. And also I told you to, sh- to shut off your electronics, no more phone, no more TV, nothing after nine o'clock at night, make it dark in your room and go to sleep and, uh, and, and, and get a good night's rest. And, and the doctor's telling your friend all this stuff, but you're sitting there and you know that last night you had three glasses of wine with your steak and you know that you fell asleep when your phone hit you in the forehead because you were still staring at it and you did not get up and you did not pray and you did not meditate. In fact, the first thing you did was turn on cable news, which escalated your stress level and you're sitting there and the doctor entered into the room with one goal. The only goal they had was to bring healing and life and goodness into the life of your friend. But you're sitting there saying, "Ah, I have made all of the opposite choices. How are you going to feel in that moment? Judged. Did the doctor come in with the intention of judging you? But there just becomes a contrast between what is spoken, what is offered, what is given, and what you have chosen. N.T. Wright, author and and, and, uh, bishop, Anglican bishop, he says this. He says, when the only light is a murky gray, sounds like Seattle, when the only light is a murky gray, people can shuffle to and fro from semi-darkness to semi-light without noticing much difference. But when the light shines brightly, even though it has come with the aim of rescuing and healing, of of loving people back to life, it means that when people choose the darkness, there can be no question that that is indeed what they have chosen. The result is sadly clear. When Jesus speaks the words of love, the words of God, the words that would heal the world, the people who reject those words will find themselves confronted in the end, not by Jesus himself, but by those very words. The words they have heard, the words they can't pretend they didn't hear, the words themselves will be judges, will rise up and condemn them. Or as Rodney Whitaker, another pastor and commentator says, Jesus does not come to condemn, but condemnation occurs as people reject him. They stand self-condemned. Number six, Judgment begins with the cross. This is the now and later aspect of when when is judgment day? Well, it starts with the cross. Because on the cross, it's like Jesus saying, I'm going to enter into the mess and I'm going to clean it up myself. Who did this? Who made this mess? Oh, everybody? Are any of them capable of cleaning up the mess? Are any of them capable of restoring things the way they should be? The answer is sadly no. So Jesus says, I'll take it upon myself. See, the cross is really ugly. The cross is ugly because it shows us the ugliness of our sin. It shows us the reality of just how broken the world is, just how broken humanity is. But the cross is beautiful because it shows us that there's more mercy in the heart of God than there is sin and rebellion in us. 
So judgment begins at the cross. If you're a Christian, what it means to trust in Jesus, what it means is to meet him at the foot of the cross and you say, I deserve that. But Jesus takes it upon himself. So instead of facing God, the righteous judge one day who slams the gavel down and says, you're guilty and now I have to pay for it. You're saying Jesus paid it all which is the, the last point I have about this, where judgment will culminate on the last day. One day, there will be the final day of judgment. So when is the day of judgment? The cross? The last day? The answer is yes. You could say we're in the day of judgment. Sorry, you know, Terminator 2. It's not future. It's like right now is the day of judgment. Right now is the day where you have an opportunity to say, I want my judgment day to have been settled 2,000 years ago on Calvary's hill. And then that one future day when we hear the, the loud voice of an archangel and the sound of a trumpet and the sky cracking open, we have nothing to fear. Amen? We have nothing to fear when Jesus returns in judgment because our judgment happened on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. I think of that like... What an amazing moment that's going to be. And you think like, will you be scared? Will you be terrified? Like, what if you heard some loud noise? What if you heard some loud crack, some loud explosion? We had a, we had a windstorm, what was that, last week recently? And I don't know if any of you lost power, but we had a, 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 a what do you call it? A transformer blue. That's a loud noise. It scared me. I hid under the table with my girls. I'm no, no, just kidding. I'll never tell. But it scared me, right? Just this, where did this come from? What is happening? And I was terrified. Yesterday, I heard a similar loud noise and I thought to myself, is that another transistor? And I pulled out my phone, I checked ESPN. I said, no, it's just the Cougars winning again and people are lighting off fireworks. Like who would have thought the Cougars would just keep winning, right? I know Pastor Doug's like dancing in the aisles, but we're uh, just that moment of like, ah, do I need to be scared? Is this something? Oh no, it's, it's completely it's completely irrelevant to my life. <laughs> what I was thinking, but I, would, I didn't say that out loud. Obviously, I wouldn't do that because that'd be rude. The point being, someday, when we hear the loudest crack that the world has ever heard, the sky splits open and we see Jesus face to face, dear Christian, you have nothing to fear because your judgment already took place. And it's a day of reward and a day of delight because Christ Jesus will return and he will rule and he will reign over a new heavens and a new earth. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more disease. There will be no more sorrow. Guys, there will be no more political ads because Jesus will be king of kings forever. Amen? Man, yeah, that should get a round of applause, right? Jesus is our king. He's our righteous judge now. With all that firmly in place, I want to talk about our judgment for a moment. I'm going to say five things briefly about our role of judgment. First of all, it's this. We are created in the image and likeness of God. Amen? Now, that means a lot of different things, but part of what that means is that means we are moral agents. We can decide between right and wrong. Uh, a dolphin or a chimpanzee, those are smart animals. They can learn tricks, they can respond, they can even communicate a little bit, but they are not making moral evaluations on the decisions they're making. They are making decisions based on instinct, based on natural, you know, whatever. Uh, I want the fish, I will do the flip, I will get the fish, right? You and I are not like that. God created us in his image and likeness, which means we operate on a different level, and part of that is morality. It's morality, right and wrong. So, number two, 
there are right and wrong actions. Now, let's just, let's just pause for a moment. Because particularly back in the 90s, man, I've got a lot of 90s references in my sermon this week. I don't know what's going on with that. But in the 90s, you guys remember the 90s? There was something called postmodernism that had really become the rage. And it was, there is no right, there is no wrong, morality is subjective, and people can kind of just decide what they do or don't want, and, and, and there really isn't any right or wrong. I would like to offer to you that those days are over. Nobody, even committed secular, atheist, whatever, nobody lives by that. Everybody is incredibly moral in our age right now, which is why there's so much outrage. Morality is way in fashion. Now, not necessarily biblical morality, but morality is really popular right now. You can be a very committed atheist, agnostic, secular sort of person and still stand up on your proverbial soapbox and denounce certain behaviors, denounce certain political leaders, denounce whoever you want to because you do have a sense of morality. So the whole like, oh, there is no right or wrong, we're kind of done with that. That's just not our culture anymore. But we as Christians believe that we derive our source of right and wrong from the scripture, from the word of God. But even those people who say they don't believe in God or they don't believe in the God of the Bible, they still show that they're created in the image and likeness of God because they can't let go of morality. There are right and wrong actions. There are right and wrong beliefs. It's not that controversial to say anymore. It used to be. It's not. Some things you can believe are right. Some things you believe are wrong. If you believe right things, that will lead to a better life. If you believe wrong things, it will be harmful to you. There are right and wrong actions, right and wrong beliefs. There are safe and harmful people. Sometimes we need to make an evaluation, a judgment, a decision about if this is a person that I should give a particular place of vulnerability in my life. Ladies, you should not date the first guy who asks you out. Some of you are looking for that date. You know, you're not married looking for that guy. Just because he shows you attention does not necessarily mean that he's a good guy. Now, maybe he is. I don't know. But you have to make that decision. You have to make that evaluation. Parents, you have to make a decision and an evaluation as to whether or not you should let your kids play at certain people's houses. This is just baseline 101 uh, of making evaluations and making judgments. So I can conclude by saying humans must make judgment calls. You know what's particularly interesting to me? The famous passage in Matthew 7 where Jesus says, judge not lest you be judged. He says, take the log out of your own eye before you take the speck out of someone else's. The very, very next verse, he says, and don't throw your pearls before swine. So I'm supposed to call some people swine? How do I make that judgment call? Wow. He's saying, he's like, hey, don't waste your efforts on some people. They just don't want to hear it. That's called a judgment call. Now, here's, here's the problem. We have to make daily judgment calls, but only that place of capital J judgment belongs to Jesus. Here's the link. Here, I, I think this is the link. I could be wrong, but here's the link that I think I see. When we experience these small little daily judgments, they remind us of ultimate judgment. Because we're created in the image and likeness of God, because I think deep down every human being knows that there's a day of judgment that's coming, when somebody judges us or we have to make a judgment, we're reminded of that capital J ultimate judgment and it makes us feel uncomfortable. But it doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. 
I have a couple of thoughts I want to wrap this up with. It doesn't have to for a few reasons. Okay, first, let's talk about condemning and judging others. When we condemn and judge others, we are showing that we don't really trust Jesus to be the judge. Okay? There's a difference between saying, I need to make a judgment call, I need to make an evaluation, versus now all of a sudden I've put myself in the seat of Jesus. I've taken a weight upon myself that only belongs to him. Let me illustrate the difference, okay? Work my same analogy. If I say, hey, children... You know, we don't really know that family. I'm not entirely sure, you know, what movies they're watching, what activities they're doing. So we're not going to go over to their house just yet. We need to get to know them better. Or, or, or if I say, hey, there's things going on there that we're just not comfortable with. I don't think that's a good environment for you to go to. I'm going to make this judgment call. That's okay. But if I start to say, can you believe that those people do da 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 Do you see the difference? Boy, it can be subtle in the moment. But I've just now assumed this posture of superiority over them. I'm somehow better than them. I'm somehow more evolved than them, more moral than them, smarter than them, whatever it might be. I may still need to make that same exact judgment call, but I can do it with a heart that says, hey, this is for loving and caring and protecting my children. Or I can do it with a heart that says, aren't I better than them? Isn't that nice? Which leads me to the second point I have in closing is this. When we judge and condemn others, we show that we've forgotten just how much mercy we've received. <laughs> How much mercy have you received? Like really, like, and I know somebody here in the room is like, well, like what kind of units are we dealing with? Like, was it mercy points or how do I, how do I judge this, right? Like you can't quantify how much mercy you've received. How much mercy have you received? How much grace have you received? How much has God loved you? If God could look at your life and say, you know what? When they're at their worst, I'm still going to act towards them with grace and with mercy. And we turn around and we want to choke the person next to us. We show that we've forgotten how much mercy we received. Amen? Don't take Jesus' place of judgment upon your shoulders. You can't bear that much weight. It will crush you. It will crush you. James 2 says, to speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Some of you need to repent today of judging others and having a superior attitude and putting yourself in the place of Jesus. One more. When we receive judgment, has anybody ever had that where someone judges you and it just spins you out? It doesn't have to. See, when we're upset, by the judgments of others, we show that we've forgotten our status before God. Oh, I'm sorry. You want to judge me? There's a God who has the right to judge me in the capital J ultimate sense. And do you know what he has said? Oh, he has said that there is therefore now no condemnation, no judgment for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. That your judgment is done. It's a settled deal that you don't have to fear ultimate judgment from God. And when you get spun out by the judgments of others, you're forgetting your foundation. You've put your hope and your identity back in their opinions. Don't do that. Because that's like, you know, that's like trying to build a house on like a, like a ball pit at Chuck E. Cheese. It's a weird analogy that just came to me. But listen, the, 
The point being, it's constantly shifting, constantly changing. Build your identity around what God says about you and you are not condemned. You are forgiven. So bring it on. You can judge me. Look, if you judge me rightly, maybe I've got something I could learn. Praise God. If you judge me wrongly, well, I just get an opportunity to practice the same kind of grace that God practiced with me. This is a win-win situation. You're going to be okay. I love the way that Martin Luther says it. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he says, so when the devil or someone from your community group throws your sins in your face and declares that you deserve death and hell, tell him this, I admit it. I do deserve death and hell. So what? For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, son of God. And where he is, there I shall be also. Praise God. Oh, last thought. Second Corinthians five says this. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him that way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, say it with me. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Look around this room. There's a lot we could be judging each other for. But you, if you're a Christian, I, I'm a Christian, we are all being transformed by Jesus Christ. You are not the same old person. You're acting like a fool. Ah, you used to be a fool. You're not. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. So I don't have to look down upon you. I don't have to judge you. I don't have to think of you the same way that people, the earthly people think of each other. We've been brought into a whole new reality by the blood of Jesus Christ. Is this good news to anyone today? So be secure. Have hope. Have Peace, knowing that you are not condemned before God. Let's pray. God, thank you that you have not condemned us. Jesus, thank you that you did not come into the world to bring condemnation, but to bring salvation. God, I pray if there's anyone here today who has not responded to you in that way, Jesus, would you stir in their heart? Would you send your spirit to do that work of of reconnecting us to God through the cross of Jesus? And as we enter into a time of responding now through the Lord's table and through singing, I pray, Lord God, that we would respond to you like free people who know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Take it away, Shane. Thank you, Brother Aaron. Well, there are a few topics that I can think of that have greater potential for us to misunderstand and to live out in wrong ways than judgment, right? I think that's one of the things that we've seen this morning. And so uh, as we think about all that we've learned, as we think about uh, what the scriptures say, that we're, we're, called, to, um, we're called to correct, we're called to, uh, we're called to admonish, we're called to encourage, we're called to uh, speak truth to one another in love, we're called to do all these things. These are lowercase j, judging kinds of things. And yet at the same time, he is the capital J, judge. And so how do we find the balance of um, living out what we're called to live in a way that is, uh, in a way that's loving, in a way that's in keeping with His Word and His will for our lives as we grow as disciples. So, let's spend some time now thinking about all that, reflecting on that, responding to the to, to all that, uh, as Aaron said through uh, the Lord's Supper and through singing songs of praise together. And we do this each week when we gather. We respond through the Lord's Supper in order to help us to just really pause, to really reflect, to really remember Jesus' body was broken for us. His blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins, 
our false judgments, our wrong judgments against others at times. And we remember all this through the taking of the communion elements together. And so when the band's ready, if they'll go ahead and you guys can play underneath, and I'll read for us from 1 Corinthians 11, where the Apostle Paul reminds us of Jesus' instructions to his disciples about the Lord's Supper, saying this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Sound City, the scriptures are here calling us to examine ourselves. So let's spend some time doing that right now. Let's take a minute. Let's reflect in quiet prayer. Let's examine ourselves as we think about all we've learned today. And let's um, think about Jesus' body given for us, his blood shed for us. And then as we're ready, after this little short time of prayer, you can go ahead and receive the elements as you see fit, and then we'll stand together and sing songs of praise together.